Hey guys, welcome to Mace Way. Come on in and grab a seat. We're gonna, I know you guys are getting some food over there for uh, our meal afterwards, so uh, thanks for doing that. And um, then once you've grabbed uh, your order tonight of uh, worship, come on over. Um, the uh, song we're starting out with is the one we we're just uh, singing along with. Uh, it's from, from Psalm 40. And uh, I thought I would actually uh, read a little bit of Psalm 40 to uh, remind us uh, this evening. This is Psalm 40, as your call. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. Put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So sing along with us on this one.
So we're doing uh, our All Souls gathering tonight, and um, one of the things we're doing is talking about different things that have impacted our lives. When I was about 19 or 20, I saw a YouTube play um, in San Francisco at a place where there's probably 12 or 13,000 folks, and um, they ended on this song. And as uh, they ended, the band stopped playing, and everybody in the place was still singing. And 45 minutes later, out in the parking lot, as people were getting in their cars, they were still singing this song. And uh, I uh, learned something about worship that night that I didn't uh, know before. And the power of uh, a song like this and words that are as ancient as these. So sing again just one more time. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. How long sing this song? Hey, what's that? Forty was on the was it on the war uh, disc or I can't um, uh, Well, I think most people learned it because it was on the under a blood red sky, the live disc um, oh, that yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah. But um, I don't remember what record it was on. Was it on October? On October. I just remember yeah. somehow feeling like we were sneaking one in on that on that one in terms of that that being such a powerfully biblical song. In many ways, it, it embodies some of the things that that are significant to this community. Uh, I, when the, the notion of yearning for something, but actually anticipating God's intervention and redemption in our culture and our world is uh, kind of I think one of the reasons people have sung that so passionately when it came out. And that's really what Emmaus Way is about. We're a community that is committed to. Uh, uh, not making God's redemptive work something that's theoretical, but anticipating that it's happening, it's it's living, it's breathing in our, our world, our culture, and our environment, and expecting that. And so, anyway, it's great to see everybody and to gather and worship with, with folks tonight. Hey, uh, just a few quick things bef- um, before uh, we get a chance to kind of offer each other a piece. Uh, last Thursday night was great. Dan, you want to say anything about... Um, about um, uh, Durham can. I mean, it's great because to see uh, Dave and Dan with suits and ties was kind of impressive for me. But uh, but other than that, it was a really it was a great contingent from Mayus Way. Really good evening in terms of kind of a summary of ten years of work, and and then maybe as well the commitment of the kind of the political community to work with us. Some comments on that, Dan? Um, basically, just thanks to everybody that came out. We actually had a lot of people show up, which I think is wonderful. Um, and wonderful for uh, the way in which our congregation is in touch with the larger community of Durham. This is one of the ways that we do it. I think it's a really important way. Um, 
but uh, some very positive engagements with a lot of the people, um, whether people who are already in positions or people who are going to be elected, everybody pretty much said that they wanted to be on board with working on things like homelessness uh, in Durham and trying to ensure that people in our community are not homeless for longer than 30 days, if we can do anything absolutely about it. Um, working on education continually, um, and especially within the immigrant community and ESL um, communities. Um, and then also working more to continue on foreclosure and stuff here in the county. So uh, it was actually a really, really exciting, uh, I think, gathering. Um, and once again, kind of a testimony to possibly God working in our midst. Yeah, packed house and one of those, you know, one of those great moments where you look at it and you kind of go, wow, you're rarely gathered in places that have the diversity that was present that evening. And it was really interesting to hear in some ways the power brokers and potential power brokers of our community saying it should look like this and life in politics should have this type of kind of give and take and cooperation. So it was really great. It was fun to, to be a part of that. So thank you for you and uh, Dave and Dave and, um, and, and uh, Vanessa and others who've been really part of kind of leading that initiative with us over the last several months. So um, good stuff on that. Um, in terms of just upcoming community things, just want to remind you that um, the plan is to dedicate uh, 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 children, babies on November 14th. If you want to be a part of that, give me an email, a shout, just so I'll be able to know and plan ahead for that because the liturgy itself has a couple of uh, changes that needs to be made based on the number of folks that are involved. So give us a shout on that or you can grab Amy on that as well and she can, will be in touch about that. But that's on the 14th of November. Um, anything else I'm forgetting, Jenny, or others that uh, is coming up? Also, just want to remind folks that whether our home groups, small groups, all those things are still, you know, if you're still wanting to get connected in that, Elizabeth here can help you with that. And um, we certainly want people to have that experience as well. But well, very good. We'll give you a chance to stand up, greet each other, offer each other the peace of Christ. And, um, and I'll reconvene us in just a moment, and we'll kind of do a bit of uh, all saints sharing. So go for it. So wait, I'm going to put you on the spot real fast. Um, you are years ago, I think seven or eight years ago, were one that really had thought about this whole idea of um, All Souls and All Saints Day. Uh, what, was, what was your thoughts behind that? What, what, and give us a little bit of the history of this. Yeah, it's ironic to me because uh, the, there was a song that Lorraine McKenna did called All Souls Night, and yet it was about uh, a pagan festival she saw in, in, in the East. So it was like in Japan or in Vietnam. She saw this... Uh, thing where they had a, a night where they had lanterns that were representing souls of the ancestors or whatever. And I was thinking that it sounded like a really beautiful service, and we don't do anything like that. And with, with uh, in my mind, a very, very rich history to talk about our faith. And so I was thinking that with Halloween becoming as crazy as it is in our culture, but really crazy related to partying, I thought it'd be interesting to have something that was um, actually fun and, and festive like a meal, but where also there was the sense of us getting to know each other and getting to know um, the journeys that we've all been on and to know how different people of faith, whether they were parents or grandparents or teachers or uh, writers or whatever, had impacted us. So when we first started doing it, what was fun was we got to hear these stories. Um, I remember Daniel Chase telling a story about a couple that picked him up and brought him on a bus every week to church. Like his family didn't go to church, no one he knew. But these people just showed up with a bus at his door and were like, come on, Daniel. 
And uh, just thinking about stories like that um, really helped us, I think, all get to know each other. Yeah, it's been a really good evening for Emmaus Way through the years to, to pause for an evening and hear our stories of faith. One of the things that, that I, and I, just to invite those stories from you, the idea is to really share stories about people, persons, ideas, uh, works of art, anything that has shaped your faith, that has called you to praise, has comforted you when you were uh, uh, in a season of pain or loss or bitterness, uh, somebody who has guided your faith. And it's a, a reminder for us that in many ways, this idea of following God is never an individual thing. And I, you know, probably done it a million times myself. I've certainly sat in many, many environments where um, a relationship with God was described, where God's people were a wonderful bonus rather than the essence and substance of what it means to know and relate to God. And so this is one of our nights where we really remind ourselves that the community around us and the community that has been around us, our historical community, our families, whatever, have been deeply significant in, in shaping our lives. And it's funny, many of the stories have been told through the years. I've always wondered, I hope that got back to the person who was being spoken about. So t- tonight the plan is just to give us uh, some time to share some stories about our our own journey, um, people who've shaped that journey, and then uh, we'll close tonight with uh, an opportunity to pray for each other. So in many ways, we're already praying as we talk about our lives, but we'll, we'll have a time of liturgical prayer where we can pray pray for each other, and then we'll have a chance to, to, to sing and to respond in song to, um, to that. And then tonight is communion is going to be a, a meal, so it'll be truly a communion meal. And our plan, we're going to start, we're going to stop tonight around six so that the meal fits itself into or you know, partly into kind of our normal time of gathered worship. And uh, we want you to see that in, in many ways as an opportunity to, to continue worshiping, that the, there's not this hard and fast line. We're done, now we're eating. But in many ways, just like in the ancient church, the the meal itself was a time of profound worship. So I want to open the floor up uh, for folks to share stories uh, of uh, experiences, people, things that have guided and shaped your your life and your faith, your journey, your your trajectory in faith. Well, just one more thought. I, I know most of you know this, but if you didn't come from a liturgical tradition, Halloween actually is a shortening of... All Hallows Eve or All Saints Eve, so it was the night before All Saints Day. So people were like, "Oh, we need to be nuts because tomorrow yeah, we got to go to church and talk about the saints." And so you know, if you didn't know where Halloween came from, that's part <laughs> of our history. So part of this is a reclamation of All, all Souls Day. It's kind of hard for me to imagine talking about the saints being a horrific thing, but I'm sure <laughs> if you did it in Latin or something, you know, it, it could be painful. So yeah. Yeah, Dale, go ahead. Uh, I, this works out great. Uh, my uh, my uncle passed away this week, and uh, he was uh, within our family. He was a very uh, him and his wife were really fervent Christians, um, and so in the time when I was growing deeper in my faith. Uh, they were a part of my family that I could look to and uh, connect with um, and have conversations with uh, about, their, about their faith and about my faith. And, uh, um, and I think uh, um, 
they, they lived uh, fairly distant from us, so we didn't see them all that time, but all, all that often. But uh, <clears throat> looking back and just thinking about their life and uh, the struggles that they had, uh, and then hearing about his uh, uh, his death, and, or you know, uh, his friends and stuff that have heard stories and stuff, uh, it just it seems like he uh, he finished well and uh, he had a, a life well. Uh, lived and uh, and sort of you know you, you, you could always look at him and his, uh, his family and go yeah well regardless of whether I agree with their their flavor you know uh, their views whatever they are uh, you knew you knew that they were they were living out their faith you know, that he was living out his faith and uh, uh, and I think he spent these last few years, he's been retired, but I think he's been going around, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but it sounds like he's been speaking for the Gideons and going around and continuing to sort of live out, you know, his, what he felt his calling was, you know, and really wearing his faith, you know, uh, externally, I suppose, or whatever, you know. So, uh, anyway, so it's nice that we have an evening to commemorate, you know. Mm. Thanks, Isn't it interesting that faithfulness is truly uh, cross-cultural in many ways? I mean, even I mean, I think this is one of the things that we are, we all kind of have this knee-jerk reaction toward, like you say, people who might practice their faith differently because the fear is there's going to be some sort of judgment or maybe some. Um, ought to something, and and when you encounter people who are deeply faithful, it just it it just completely rethinks, uh, I mean, it, 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 it disregards the, the defensiveness that you might have brought to that. That's a, that's a great example yeah. of that. Yeah. I had that experience with Gideon's at one point. There was a, used to be a, a Gideon's uh, dinner evening thing, uh, kind of in Hillsboro, Chapel Hill, that, uh, that my uh, former church staff always had to go to. And we treated it horribly. Like, you know, it was like the, the lottery not to go to the Gideon's thing because it was really, really dated. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was really, really dated. It was, you know, King James and all those things. And so we were horrific about thinking of ways to, from hangnails to uh, gross existential crises not to go to this and the year that I went I was so incredibly moved by the people who were there didn't agree with much that they said but the faithfulness of the I mean and, and many of them were in their 70s and 80s and 90s and I realized you know what I I'm, I'm not a sure thing <laughs> to be a faithful person in my 70s, 80s, or 90s. And it was, it was funny to leave that being encouraged when I left, you know, thinking I was walking into a breathing anachronism. And I was, but I didn't factor in faithfulness. Yeah. So true. Other stories? I think for me this year, um, Wendy and Andrew and Joshua Renz have really been saints to me. I've been friends with them, you know, going on a year now since they've lived here, but them inviting me to live with them and having a chance to do more like daily life things with them, particularly at a point where I was in need and they were in need and we just kind of were able to meet each other in that. But just um, just in thinking that the last few months of my life have not really gone how I thought they would, particularly due to a job that's been a lot more consuming than I ever anticipated. But they've just been wonderful at 
receiving what I've been able to offer, even when what I've been able to offer wasn't what I wanted to, it wasn't enough, there wasn't enough time, it wasn't enough whatever. But they were just very gracious in receiving whatever that was. And so I saw a lot of them in the very early mornings and the very late nights. Um, but they've just been very wonderful. And just even doing little things like making sure I had dinner one night, you know, or being very honest and being very transparent and just being, you know, the kind of delightful people that will allow you to enter into the ugly parts of their life, lives as well as the beautiful parts. And um, it was just a real treat to get to live with them and commune with them in that way. And it's just, I think it made the last few months of my life just very, very different than what they would have been like if I was living by myself or if I had people different with me. We forget how much, call it discipleship or just kind of struggling to live faith together and how joyful it can be in the, just the mundane aspect of sharing space. And, and living together. And I think of Jenny and Susan and Phil, and there's many other people here in this community uh, that have invited people into their homes. And it's just a profound way of, of living. And it's, a, it's, a, it's that kind of act of kindness that makes sense of things that uh, often can't be explained theologically. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. I mean, because I know so many of you guys have done that, and, and kind of living and rooming and sharing life together has been a, a part of the Mass way from the very beginning. We've always had at least one or two communities that were merged homes as a kind of a part of our life here. So, And you've been a part of that with the Chases and others as well, Sarah, so you know that you've tasted what, what's good about that. that I wanted to talk about <clears throat> Elizabeth Eifert tonight. Um, she's meant a lot to me. We've been friends for a decade, and I know she's touched a lot of you. Just, you know, she really worked hard to connect people in small groups, and she and Dave are often, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, they were the first people to say hello to me in a Mayus way. And because I knew I wanted to talk about her, I was going to, you know, I was looking through a picture, my photo album to find a picture of her. And it was funny because the pictures, you know, here's in front of the dumpster. Um, there was another one where we were like huddled up in sleeping bags because we were in a hotel room in Dallas and there was no heat. And, uh, and I found this one that you can only see her backside. And she's washing dishes and we had the neighborhood kids over. And I was just thinking about um, <clears throat> what an extraordinary gift it's been to have her in those very ordinary moments um, and you know the dumpster was really smelly um, <laughs> so thanks for are you referring to the dumpster in Pasadena or yes. yes in front of the teal green house which we didn't tell you about later too <laughs> Denise and Elizabeth and I and a bunch of others were out in Pasadena at one point. It was actually kind of the people that became the original kind of group of Emmaus Way at one point in time. And we, we, we were working with another community called Harambe. It was just really interesting to kind of be around another community. But there was a day of gutting a house that involved like the nastiest diapers that you could ever imagine that were kind of like in the walls and the floors and trash. 
That's exactly right. It really was. It was almost chin deep in trash, and we had to gut it out. That, that dumpster, I mean, living in that dumpster was a really full day, and so, um, uh, and pretty powerful. And I think for a lot of you guys thinking about community life, sometimes it's really easy to kind of treat kind of roommate living as something that is not permanent and will lead to something else in life, so to speak. And I think back to the old house you guys had on Orient Avenue as well as, as Driver Street that was Denise's house. Uh, and the, particularly the Orient Ave was five teachers, right, at one point. And, and the neighborhood boys all landed there for, uh, for after school, basically tutoring. It was kind of the most kind of active house on that street. And it was a pretty profound, pretty profound moment of experience. Uh, I was telling somebody the story of when someone in the house ended up with lice. I don't know who that was. And uh, from, from teaching school. And these, the, these women had to get up in the middle of the night and like put Vaseline on their hair and comb their hair and it was I mean there was some pretty dramatic moments but that's the kind of experiences that are available to us in friendship now that sometimes we keep thinking later in life is when I'll have those friends that I have those type of experiences with so thanks for reminding us that video, like they would hit these few things. And there's one particular moment that has really shaped kind of, I guess, my faith or understanding of Christianity or God or my you know, interaction with that. Um, and I was sitting on a couch with my, at the time, girlfriend, we're having just a conversation, and uh, she asked me, why do you believe in God? Just kind of very straightforward and to the point. And that's the kind of question that, you know, if you do like a Bible study, you know, it's probably been asked before, but in that, those situations, I had always been able to kind of like BS my way through the question. Because in the back of my mind, I'd always thought, I'm not really sure I have a good answer for this. And uh, that's not something you can you know, feel comfortable saying in that, that setting. But when my girlfriend at the time asked me this, that's not someone I could BS this question to. And someone who knew my answer would have been fake if I had kind of just spouted something off. And I sat there for just a moment and I said, I don't know. I don't have an answer for why I believe in God. And it was this really profound moment of verbalizing all this uncertainty and doubt that had always been in the back of my mind. And it just really set forth this journey that I'll probably always be on trying to understand why am I here in this building tonight? What is my purpose for believing in God and saying I believe in God? And it's kind of this just odd moment to think of that as a saintly moment because it was it set forth six months of just existential angst pretty much of saying, why do I believe in God? Like, that's, that's a really hard question to deal with. Um, and so it's just kind of an odd way to think of a saint as, as God putting someone there to really just shape your faith to the point of having to kind of deconstruct it back to the beginning beyond that. And I'd always thought, well, why do I believe in God? And I could BS myself into it. Um, but if someone's saying, no, like, why do you really believe that? What's, what's beyond kind of your, your surface level answer to something deeper and, and meaningful? Um, 
think it's just that so when I look back when I do this little montage in my head I can look back on that and say that that moment has kind of defined the rest of my journey up to this point of trying to understand how do we live in communion with God is why am I here? Just that simple question of why. Um, and sometimes that's a that's a hard question to ask yourself and it requires someone who really knows you um, and knows when you're BSing that answer. So it's that moment kind of I guess for my faith been really defining for it. It's a great, you know, it's funny, David, I, I think of that almost every Sunday afternoon coming to church. I mean, it's kind of years ago why I always dreamed about having a dialogical church where people's stories and people's interpretation would matter so much. Because I always had that experience as a pastor of people raising that question kind of tepidly in at a coffee shop or in my office, but not publicly among the people who, by hearing that question or hearing that concern, could offer testimony, praise, excitement, frustration, fear, common concern, all of those things. So uh, it's exciting when that happens. It's exciting when relationships line up where we, we develop the freedom to express uh, where our journey is because in many ways that authenticity is so critical. It's, it's kind of what I dream about on Sunday afternoons. So thanks for bringing that up. Other folks? And today we want to talk to the and we were talking about, you know, we um, saw her and water and I'm not going to be on the math of that for me earlier, but I think it was like, oh, I'm going to be But thinking about my friend Christy that I met um, 30 years ago, um, some of y'all went for it. <laughs> um, but we were in sixth grade and just, I came to the new school and I don't know, she was with me through, through it all, and we're still friends and one time we went, um, when we graduated from college, we, we didn't have any prospects to marry. So we thought, wow, we had our own right of passage, right? So my mom took us up to the Grand River and took us somewhere and we put in on food. And um, we paddled, we paddled a long way. And then she came and picked us up later and we decided that this was going to be kind of our passage into adulthood. And the whole time we, um, we just talked about and just life and, and growing up and there was a heron that um, stayed with us the entire run. and we took a turn up another river and it came with us and then as we got to the pullout it took off and flew away and so every time I see a heron I feel this sense of I'm being taken care of and kind of that connection with Christy and just my past and who I am. Yeah, thank you, Susan. You know, it's amazing how important. I don't know how you, if you do this well, I don't. But there are moments in life that bear remembering and retelling, and and we often don't have enough cues to help us remember those moments. And because life is so transitory, we don't have enough people around us who remember maybe what being in the dumpster meant, that sort of thing. And so it's it's it, it's great to be able to remember those things. Yeah, thanks, Susan. wouldn't have thought to tell the story at all, except that I was talking to Kinsey about it today when we were also hiking at the Eno. <laughs> um, they were hiding from you guys. <laughs> They're coming. Because <laughs> I don't think of this 
person, this, this gentleman is, a, is like a, somebody that has been a huge influence in my life. I want, he was a, um, a professor of mine in college and he was teaching an American literature class and so we were doing a section on transcendentalism and meter studying. Uh, reading excerpts from, from, from Walden. Um, and so as sort of a part of that, he, he and his wife owned this house, this really nice house, um, out in the woods, um, out in sort of a rural area outside of Nashville. And so he, and, he had this uh, weekend trip where I don't, I don't think it was mandatory, but you could sign up and come and have this like transcendentalist weekend, you know. And so um, there were, ended up being like 15 to 20 people that were out there and and he had us go out and uh, he had this like list of things that we were supposed to do when we went out in the woods and we were supposed to go you know, by ourselves and find a place, an isolated place. And um, you know, he, would, he would ask us to do things like sit for, for 20 minutes and try to pick out every noise that you hear in the forest. And um, um, I had done a lot of camping and stuff growing up, but nothing like that where I was purposefully setting myself in creation and uh, listening for listening for, you know, glimpses of God. Um, the, the university I went to in Nashville uh, is a pretty conservative Christian college, and, and they sort of touted the fact that in their curriculum, um, you know, Bible and, and religion and faith is infused into all the different classes. And I never felt that a whole lot, but um, I did, and I did with this experience. I really, I really thought it was cool that this, um, this professor... Uh, found a way to inject um, faith, and you know, I guess Walden wasn't wasn't uh, strict, strictly uh, going for Judeo-Christian values, but it was. Uh, <laughs> um, but he sort of was 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 connecting that with like Christian meditation and stuff, and um, and was asking us to participate in that, and, and that was uh, when I first sort of. Um, developed a, a connection with God through creation, and I still have that today. I, I, you know, aside from music, there's nothing that connects me with God more than just being out in creation, and, and, um, and so I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate that um, professor instilling that in me. Thanks. Our first house was about five miles from Walden Pond. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. Thank you. Others? Right answer. Oh, oh, say it, sir. I'm going to stand up to be respectful. Stand away, my I'm man. I'm going to be the first one that talks about somebody that I've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, one of my favorite authors is a guy, Frederick Wiegner, who I'm sure some of you have heard of. Um, a few years ago, I was going through some really difficult crises in my life, and one of the ways I found my way back to some health was through some of his uh, writing. And so I want to read just... Um, just a couple of bits of a passage from this book. This book is called Telling Secrets. And one of the reasons that this particular book was so important for me was that I had, I had been sort of raised in a home and a family where there were a lot of secrets that were not told, that you weren't supposed to tell, um, that you were supposed to internalize. And that had, had ended up causing a lot of problems for me that I was not aware of for years and years. And that's kind of what he does in this book, is sort of tell some of his secrets that he feels like you have to do to experience real healing. I think here at the Tower of London, more particularly, I think of that oldest part of it, known as the White Tower, which was built by William the Conqueror in the 11th century. On the second floor of it, there is a small Norman chapel called the Chapel of St. John. 
It's very bare and very simple. It's built all of stone with 12 stone pillars and a vaulted ceiling. There's a cool silvery light that comes in through the arched windows. Knights of the Order of the Bath used to keep all night vigil there over their armor before being anointed by the king on his coronation day. The chapel is very silent and very still. It is almost a thousand years old. You cannot enter it without being struck by the feeling of purity and peace it gives. If there is any such thing in the world, it is a holy place. But that is not all there is in the White Tower. Directly below the chapel is the most terrible of all the tower's dungeons. It has a heavy oak door that locks out all light and ventilation. It measures only four feet square by four feet high, so that a prisoner has no way either to stand upright in it or to lie down at full length. There is almost no air to breathe in, almost no room to move. It is known as the Little Ease. I am the White Tower, of course. To one degree or another, all of us are. During the time of my daughter's sickness and its aftermath, I began to realize how much of my time I spent in that dark, airless, crippling place where there was no ease at all. I began to understand that though in many ways we were both a lucky and loving family, my daughter's anorexia was only the most visible manifestation of a complex subterranean malaise <coughs> that we were all five of us suffering from, myself maybe most of all. The craving to be free and independent on the one hand, and to be taken care of and safe on the other, were as much mine as they were my daughter's. Beneath the question about food, there were for her unspoken questions about love, trust, fear, loss, separation, and these were also my questions. Childhood fears persist in us all, and what I feared most was losing what I loved the way years before I had lost a father that I hardly knew well enough to love. So I clung onto my children for dear life because in many ways, too many ways, they were my life. I looked to them and to my wife to fill empty places in me which, with their own lives to live, they didn't have either the wherewithal or the inclination to do. I got so caught up in my daughter's slow starvation that I was not aware of the extent to which I myself was starving. He goes on to talk about a couple of books he wrote after this that were autobiographical works, and he talks about saints that had been in his life, ways that he was unaware of things that had been planted in him years before. I wrote, for instance, about a nurse that my brother and I had had when we were little boys in Washington, D.C., who had false teeth, which she could make drop at will to our delectation, and who taught us to sing the old rugged cross in our beds at night, before either of us had any idea, as I put it then, what a hymn was, or what a cross was, or why it was something to sing about in the dark. I wrote, too, about a minister who, shortly after my first novel was published in 1950, asked me out of the blue if I had ever considered putting my talents to work for Christ. And I remember cringing with embarrassment at that kind of language and thinking that he must have gone out of his mind. I also described what from the outside looked like a trivial domestic scene with my mother, but which turned out to be such a watershed of my life that I must describe it briefly now. We were just about to have a pleasant dinner together when a friend of mine telephoned to say that his family had been in an awful accident and to ask if I would come wait with him at the airport where he was to catch a plane to where the accident had happened. My mother was furious. She said I was a fool to think of ruining our evening together for such a ridiculous reason as that. And for a moment, I was horrified to find myself thinking that she was right. 
Then the next moment I saw more clearly than I have ever seen before that it is on just such outwardly trivial decisions as this. Should I go or should I stay? That human souls are saved or lost. I also saw for what was maybe the first time in my life that we are called to love our neighbors, not just for our neighbor's sake, but for our own sake. And that when John wrote, he who does not love remains in death, he was stating a fact of nature as incontrovertible as gravity. And even as I was writing about moments like that in those two books, the same kind of moments kept on happening. Thanks, so, Mark. Yeah. Uh, Mark has been our one of several great Frederick Buechner fans here. That book, uh, Telling Secrets, and then the companion, Telling the Truth, are probably on the, the Emmaus Way must-read list, small and and powerful. And in some ways, it's interesting, Mark, that that image is so graphic of that four-by-four four room. Uh, David, that might be my answer to some degree of why would you follow the gospel that at times has such incredible enigmas to it and though it is seeing people come out of rooms like that in, in for the sake and the name of the gospel. And Mark, your story is a really, really powerful one of that kind of journey. So uh, thank you very much. A moment or two for another story. Anybody wants to share? Thank you so much. That was great. Yeah, Trigger. Um, I think, like, in terms of maybe saints, like, I guess I wouldn't name one specific person, but just kind of thinking of the idea. And a lot of times this fits in with your families, but it doesn't always have to be family. It could be friends. But if you think of all of those, <coughs> for me, it's, it's good and helpful to think of all the things that it cost people that came before me, and like particularly like my mom or my grandparents or something, where um, where they gave up things so that I could have a life and maybe get to do some of the things that I wanted to do and follow some of the dreams that I had. Um, and as you're busy going along your life and you're maybe getting to do cool stuff and you get to go off to college and grad school and I always joke that I'm the after-school special in that sense because I'm the first person in my family to go to college and get to do all that stuff. But as I've gone through that, I remember it was a while after <coughs> graduating and stuff where it really hit me as to what it cost my mom for that to happen and stuff. And just, just in life, like, my mom now, she, it's funny, she just put out a CD and she plays in wine bars and stuff like that, and she's just, she had retired a couple years ago, and she's having the time of her life playing in bars. I mean, it's the, I don't know what everyone else's mom does, but that's the one. She's not doing it on a Friday night, but it's funny. I, she's just finally getting to do this thing, but all growing up, my mom never, like, whatever her big dream was as a teenager, if she even had any, because she kind of had a rough upbringing, but she just always went to work. You know, the jobs that she hated and all those things. And, you know, she found her little goals and little things she would get into. But as far as some of those, like, big things, they didn't happen for her in her 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, and we know people that they walked away from their families so they could go do their thing and their kids got stuck with, with nothing and in really, like, shitty situations. And I'm just grateful that, that my mom was willing to kind of make those sacrifices, that my grandparents were willing to make those sacrifices. Um, and it kind of makes me even look at my own life in a sense, and you just wonder, what is it maybe you're giving up for other people? And I don't think you just do that just to be noble or this or that, but just 
But like for real, like who do you love and who do you who do you care about and what do you give up and for that. Um, and obviously, I was saying that all points back to Jesus. I mean, he died. We killed God, you know, and yet he came back. And in a sense, in that resurrection, it's kind of neat to even see my mom getting to go out and play and do this stuff because it's like her own little resurrection in her life 30 years after the fact of when she may have been one to go out and play music and stuff. But I think that's a neat gift, and it just, I don't know. I guess, so yeah, blah, blah, blah. When you just start thinking about saints, it's, it's important to think about what it's cost other people so that we can even be in this room worshiping God together with each other. It's funny, Beekner's point, uh, talking about sacred encounters, it's part of the language we do every week with the Eucharist is understanding there's an opportunity for sacred encounter. We're going to do that tonight as well. But also, perhaps even more powerfully, is the uh, sacrificial living over a great length and point in time has great power in it as well. Um, the uh, Well, thank you, Trigger. Hey, I want to give us a chance to pray for some of the stories that we've told and actually some space to share some other things on this. I, I'm going to uh, look to your, your liturgy here. I'm going to kind of guide us through this a little differently than we typically do. And when we get to that, I'll, I'll help you with that. Notice this is, uh, this is I think, uh, Form 6 from the, the Book of Common Prayer. Is that right, Wade? I think you're right. And, and it, it's a great prayer because it's an encompassing prayer. You'll find yourself in this prayer as well as you'll find many that you love in this prayer. So if you would pray with me, I'll give us some pauses and stops. Um, your, uh, the spoken part for the community is the italicized, bold-faced portion. So um, uh, it's in peace, we pray to you, Lord God. For all people in their daily life and work. For our, for our families, families, friends, and neighbors. For, for those who are alone. For this community, the nation, and the world. For all who work for justice, freedom, and peace. For the just and proper use of your creation. For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. For all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. For those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy. For the peace and unity of the Church of God. For all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth. For the special needs and concerns of this congregation. At this point, what I want you to do is give you a second to stand up. And if you've brought a need or are aware of a need um, that that's just that's a part of your life. Stand up for a moment and just mention that. Just the, the mentioning of that will will be the the prayer itself, and then I'll call us back to the the remaining portion of the liturgy. So stand up for a moment. Uh, if you've brought a need, you're aware of a need. You your heart's been moved by one that's part of this community or broader than that. Uh, just say it to the people that are around you. So let's stand up and do that, just as a, a way of of being active and doing that. Just, again, say that to anyone who's near you. Just something that you perceive as a, a need that you have or a need of someone else, known or unknown to this community, that you're aware of. Let's return to the liturgy. Thank you for doing that. I know that's a little different.
Hear us, O Lord. For your mercy mercy is great. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. Um, And let me just give you a second to something you're thankful for. Just say it in a phrase or word. It doesn't have to be, uh, it's not jeopardy. It doesn't have to be in the form of a question or a prayer or whatever that might be. But things that we're thankful for. Anything. Family. <laughs> Gotta love that with a three month old. Yeah. Friendships. Yeah. We need dear ones in this room. Yeah. Which is diminishing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Autumn. Yeah, it's my season. Dermot Reality ministry. We exalt you, O God our King. Praise your name forever and ever. ever. We pray for all who have died that they may have a place in your eternal kingdom. Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them. Put their trust in you. We pray to you also for the forgiveness of our sins. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. And so uphold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for telling your stories. Let's try to pick some music tonight that would be related to uh, the stories of these writers, but I think they're also stories that are our stories. We mentioned uh, U2 earlier, and um, Bono had lost a lot of lyrics. Uh, A briefcase had been stolen, and so he had to write um, lyrics for the October record kind of off the top of his head in the studio. So he pulled out the Bible. That's one of the ways that he got a lot of his lyrics, and that's why one of the reasons why 40 exists. Um, and this next song that we're going to do, Rich Mullins uh, has written a song called Calling Out Your Name. Rich was um, someone who had Native American blood, I, that's what I understand. And he um, loved the plains, loved the Midwest, loved the wide open spaces, and felt like he was able to see and worship God uh, in that part of creation. Something that some of us may see as flat and dry and dusty, he saw the hand of God. So uh, this is Calling Out Your Name. Sing along with us. Well, the moon moved past Nebraska, spilled laughter on them cold Dakota hills. Angels danced on Jacob's stairs. Yeah, they danced on Jacob's stairs. There is the silence in the badlands over Kansas, the whole universe was still. By the whisper of a prayer. By the whisper of a prayer And the single hawk bursting to flight In the east the whole horizon is in flames And I feel the thunder in the sky See the sky about to rain Hear the prairies calling out your name 
I can feel the earth tremble beneath the rumbling of the buffalo And the fury in a pheasant's wings There's fury in a pheasant's wings And it tells me the Lord is in His temple There is still faith that can make the mountains move and a love that can make the heavens ring I've seen love make heaven ring Where the sacred rivers meet Beneath the shadow of the keeper of the plains I feel the thunder in the sky See the sky about to rain Hear the prairies calling out your name You can look sometimes forever till you see What time may never know What time may never know Just how the Lord takes by His corners This whole world shakes us forward and shakes us free To run wild with the hope Run wild with the hope The hope this thirst will not last long It will soon drown in a song not sung in vain I feel the thunder in the sky See the sky about to rain Hear the prairies calling out your name And I know this thirst will not last long It will soon drown in a song I feel the thunder in the sky See the sky about to rain With the prairies I am calling out your name I know this thirst will not last long will soon drown in a song not sung again I feel the thunder in the sky Sky about to rain With the prairies I am calling out your name I was um, in a band that was uh, asked to uh, pay a lot of money to open for another band that was that had a hit, and they wanted us to go on the road and uh, support this other band, but they wanted us to pay $20,000 to open for this band. <laughs> that was a really interesting financial deal. Um, but um, I saw a guy named Michael McDermott open um, when I was seeing uh, this, this show to see if we wanted to open. And um, I was struck by a couple things. Um, his eyeliner was one thing I was struck by. Uh, the leather pants were good looking, um, I thought. But um, he also wrote uh, some songs. Um, and uh, his, the introduction to this record was actually uh, something where Stephen King, the author, wrote and said he's probably the best American author that songwriter that no one's ever heard of and um so it was interesting kind of juxtaposition of um uh this this show that that i didn't quite get um but that i also started to listen to his lyrics and i realized that this was a guy who had 
struggle with his faith. He was trying to write honestly. He's from a Catholic background, Irish Catholic, and um, so um, anyway, when he wrote this song, Deirdre Dances, the image of um, saying both, I no longer know what I want. I, I'm in this place of kind of existential angst of not knowing what I believe anymore, but then this idea that, that beauty, that um, both art and that um, sort of the dancing, that someone dancing in joy reminded him that God wasn't done with him no matter what he thought about God is uh, where this song came from. So uh, the chorus keeps repeating, so uh, join in with us as you catch it. And it's also on our Right 7 project if you want to check it out.
You plow in your fields of desire Well, I've got some fields of my own My land has been burned by the fire My maker wants me to atone So I ask thee if I have offended Ask thee what else could it be It's just that I never expected This kind of thing time in my life um, when I didn't know how to think about God's care for me. And uh, this um, guy who's a, a great songwriter who lived here for a while, actually went to the Bible church for a bit where uh, Tim had worked, where I'd worked for a bit. And um, he's uh, someone who's kind of been around the block, had a number of different things going on in his life, but he wrote this song, God Believes in You. And the first time I heard it, I wasn't sure I liked the song at all. In terms of the music, the way he did the production, but um, something about the lyric just engaged me, and I thought, man, is that really true that God believes in me even if I don't believe in Him? And as I've lived with this song over the years, it's become one that I, I'm so glad he wrote. I certainly wish I would have written it, but I'm really glad he wrote it. When you start to doubt that you exist, well, God believes in you. Founded by the evidence God believes in you When your light burns so dim When your chances seem so slim Think you don't believe in Him God believes in you Start that again When you start to doubt that you exist God believes in you 
found it by the evidence of God believes in you When your light burns so dim When your chances seem so slim Think you don't believe in Him God believes in you When you rise up just to fall again Well, God believes in you Deserted by your closest friends Well, God believes in you You'll be betrayed with a kiss You turn your cheek to another fist Does not have to end like this God believes in you We sing everything matters if anything matters at all Everything matters no matter how big, no matter how small Oh, God believes in you God believes in you When your soul is shame that you could die Oh, God believes in you You can't do right even though you try God believes in you Blessed are the ones who grieve The ones who mourn But enjoy your reap God believes in you And yeah, we sing Blessed are the ones who grieve The ones who mourn The ones who bleed Sorrow you'll sow But enjoy your reap God believes in you Oh God believes in you One more Sing God What does it mean to live a good life? We're not the first people to ask this question. This is a question that's been asked for probably as long as the history of humanity. What does it mean to live a good life? Well, we have, I think, in our culture, lots of saints, lots of examples of this, or at least people that play the role of saints. It might be like the celebrity who teaches you Uh, in a certain way, that this is what it means to live a good life. That having money at your disposal, or having men or women at your disposal, or having toys at your disposal, or having access to Hollywood and everybody glorifying you in that way, is in some sense what it really means to live the good life. Now, there are more altruistic examples than this one. You might be, hey, well, the president. The president teaches us, well, what it means to be a public servant and how you serve humanity through your greatness and your benevolence. Or it might be, you know, the doctor or the the scholar who in some way is going to make a great difference for the future of the world with everything that they're able to benefit out of their wonderful intelligence and their genius. That these in some way are saints of our culture because they depict to us what it means to live a good life. In Christianity, that is not, or those are not always, the saints that haunt the halls of what it means to live a good life for Christians. The saints in the church are those people who do not find themselves at the center of history, who do not locate themselves as the ones who are changing history, who are making everything different. 
But in some sense, they are the ones who have caught a vision of the way in which God has changed history, of the way in which, in the person of Christ, everything has been made new. And they have found themselves caught up in that vision. And they are saints for us because in living in devotion to Christ, they help us imagine just a tiny bit more of what it might look like to live in God's kingdom as those who have been captured and brought into the grace of God. As those who have found themselves devoted to the love that was shown in Christ and invited into God's grace. Tonight, as we go to the table, we're kind of situated between two ages, in a way. In some sense, we've just spent a lot of time reflecting quite a bit on people who have come before us, on saints who have in some way depicted for us what it means to say that God entered the world in Jesus Christ and definitively reclaimed humanity as his creation. Those are the people that we have come to love because they gave to us this faith, a sense of something larger than our own ego and our own meager existence. But as we taste of the table tonight, and we're going to celebrate a more feast tonight, a larger communion tonight, where we're going to eat together, celebrate together, we're also going to look toward the future where in the final time, when God restores all things, we will celebrate a table fully set with God's good bounty, with those fellow saints who have depicted for us what it means to live in the grace of God. Tonight, we celebrate a communion as a feast, tasting together the future of what will be made when God restores all things, and all those we have known who have passed before, we celebrate with again. And all those we will pass this faith on to will celebrate with us. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to come. Tonight, we're actually going to eat a whole feast. The banquet has been set. There is also wine and juice uh, on the uh, drink table over here. I invite you as you make your way through the table to also share with a cup with one another. So as you're sharing meal, food, bread, you also share the cup. Um, and in coming, I'm going to ask the, the, the kids, I think, are going to come out at 6.30. Is that right? Um, so those of you that are parents, if we could let the parents go first um, and get through the line, then the rest of us can go. Uh, and that way they'll have a time to kind of dig in before the kids come out. Um, so I invite you now to the table. Looking back, remembering those who have shown us what it means to live in the grace of God, and also tasting here what the future fullness of that celebration will be when we are all gathered into God's kingdom and all things are made new. Amen. Everything matters if anything matters at all Everything matters no matter how big, no matter how small Oh God believes in you, God believes in you 
God believes in you. Oh, God believes in you. 